Uh, good morning, New York City Church. Uh, my name is Tony Fernandez, and I come to you all the way from sunny South Florida, where it's 80 degrees outside today and like 120% humidity. Um, it's, it's quite warm, um, but I'm excited to be with you and to speak with you today. And, and the reason I'm excited is not only because I was baptized in the Hudson Valley uh, region of the New York City Church, but um, and it's not only because uh, my family has its roots in New York City. My, my dad was a New York City police detective for 21 years who grew up in the South Bronx, and my mom grew up in Brooklyn and was a a New York City guidance counselor. Um, And I'm not only excited because I love your leadership team. Uh, Steve Kennard counted the cost with me and Rob and Chelsea Novak have become dear friends. Um, But but let me tell you exactly why I'm, I'm so excited today to speak. Several months ago, Sam Powell called me and asked if I would speak. Um, I agreed and um, I was scheduled to actually speak last week. One thing led to another, and I was pushed back. And, and so Phil Garrison uh, reached out to me and told me that my new topic for the sermon was going to be the sword of the Spirit. And, I was, and, and as he told me that was the topic, I had to stop and praise God. And, and let me tell you why. When I was nine years old, my family was invited to visit the New York City Church of Christ. Nettie Navarre, my mom, um, my mom was invited by her, and, and uh, my mom ended up bringing my sister and, and me. My dad, however, decided that he would not attend until the continuous pressure of his kids asking him to come broke him. And then he agreed to come one time. My mom was not yet a disciple. My family was really lost and floundering and trying to figure out their own future. The service my dad attended was a park service in Rockland County. My dad allowed me to skip Kingdom Kids and sit beside him. He took her front row seat and informed me that his intention was to heckle the preacher. The preacher that day was Sheridan Wright. And there was no heckling. Instead, the words that Sheridan spoke broke my dad. As a nine-year-old boy, I will always remember my dad, tears streaming down his face. He walked over to a dumpster and he began to weep. I remember running over to my dad, who had always been kind of a strong man, and I asked him, what's wrong, Daddy? And the words he spoke have been memorialized in my heart and in my mind. He said, Daddy has been a bad man. My dad that day started studying the Bible, and two weeks later, my hard, abrasive police officer father, who had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, was baptized into Christ. That moment where Sheridan Wright preached changed my family's destiny forever. And so, yes, I'm excited for all the reasons I told you, but here's the reason why I'm really excited. Because part of that message that Sheridan Wright preached all those years ago came from the text we're going to study today. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Sheridan's, words was about God, Sheridan's word was about God's power, that his a word has power. He related to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, talking about the double-edged sword. And I'll always remember what he said. He said, God's word wants to change you, but you have been blocking it your whole life. So he asked the question, why not let it hit you? And my dad, for the first time in his whole life, allowed God's word to take residence in his heart And it changed everything about my family. And so there I am, you know, a couple of months ago, and I open up an email, and and, uh, Phil Garrison is saying that I'm going to speak on the topic that changed my family's life forever. In my first time back speaking for the whole of my home church, I get to speak about God's gracious word, his powerful word. And man, what a thing to praise God about. Isn't God good? You know, we could all tell stories, I'm sure, if we had the time. We could all share stories of the way that God took the chaos of our world and brought order to it by his divine words. 
that we were all lost, that we were broken, that we were abused, that we were afraid, that we had maligned God's image and squandered our own birthright, that, that, that we had been bad men, as my dad said, or, or bad women. And then somehow, in some way, God's word spoke to us, swept into our lives and changed us forever. As disciples of Christ, that's our story. And so this morning, over the next 15 minutes or so, I'd like to remind you of what Sheridan reminded my father all those years ago. Today, I want to talk about the sword of the Spirit, which the Bible says is the Word of God. Again, would you look with me to Ephesians chapter 6 as we pick, um, pick up along this study that you guys have been in for the last few months. I went back and I got a chance to listen to the lessons. And man, you've been uh, treated to some incredible speakers. I listened to Angel's message and Mike and I heard uh, John and, and Steve speak and, um, and Sam as well and all the others. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be able to add something to this conversation. And so here we are, Ephesians chapter 6. We'll start in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. We are in a battle where the rulers and the authorities of the heavenly realm are against us. Verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, um, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The Apostle Paul concludes this beautiful letter where he wrote about the Christian experience and he gives instructions about the blessings in Christ and the knowledge and, and, and the strength in the Christian conduct. He, he ends this beautiful, immortal letter with something that has kind of become, I don't know, I guess it's dropped out of the conversation. It's dropped out of the conversation in our postmodern Western world. He takes a moment and he speaks of the spiritual warfare. You know, for millennia, Apprentices, disciples of Jesus, have spoken of the enemies of our soul, the world, our own flesh, and the devil himself. For centuries, Christians have called others to pull back the curtain and expose the spiritual warfare happening around us and within us, calling uh, the world for centuries to acknowledge that the God of the Bible is actually at war with every form of evil in every single fashion. Romans chapter 1 kind of reminds us of this. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The wrath of God is being revealed or poured out from heaven because God wants to put an end to evil. He is at war with every form of evil. His intention is that there would be a world with no more cruel dictators. No more rampant corruption, no more abuse, no more mass shootings, no more racism, no more misogyny, no more exploitation of women and children, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more divorce, no more breakdown of families, no more fatherless homes, no more evil at all. God is after a world where there is no evil. But the enemies of God, the world, the devil, and our flesh, 
or after a world where God's influence fades. And so evil persists. At the end, we know God will win. That's the hope of the gospel. But in the meantime, you and I are at war. Which is why, as the letter to the Ephesians concludes, Paul is reminding the people that they are, in fact, at war. Notice the illustration here. How is your righteousness? He calls it a breastplate. How are you doing with your righteousness, with your own obedience? Where's the gospel's place in your life? Are you fitted with it? How about your faith? Do you use it as a shield to extinguish the arrows? How about your salvation? Have you worked it out with fear and trembling like the helmet that it is? And then he ends with the topic for, with our topic for today. He says, end, this is the end of verse 17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The last piece of armor, or the last piece of defense and offense in this matter is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, in a world of spiritual warfare where the battle between good and evil is literally on display and where temptation rages in the heart of men and women to turn away the truth and towards lies and where we are tempted again, again, and again, and again to turn back to our vices and where our anxiety and, and our, our fears are running rampant. The Apostle Paul, led by the Spirit, says, Hey, look, brothers and sisters, as you go to war, don't forget to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, the Apostle Paul is telling us to make sure we bring on the journey of life something that we can use to distinguish between lies and the truth, between good and evil. Take something that you can order your steps with. Take something that can be your authority. But here's the problem. In this war, this spiritual war, we are being sold this idea that an authority for our lives or kind of a barometer for how we should live or anything that tells us the way we're supposed to do things has kind of become passe. We live in a world of fluidity. We're doing what you believe is right or wrong has the highest authority. We're doing what you believe is good or bad is the highest authority. Like, why would I listen to the Bible, a book written by dead people, when I have Google? You know what I'm saying? And this is the lie that we're being fed, or this is what we're being sold, that, that the Word of God is no longer useful in a modern intellectual world. And here's the crazy thing. This idea that you cannot trust God's Word to design your life, that it would be better for you to find anything else to design your life, is not, only, is not a very new scheme. In fact, it's the oldest scheme the devil has. This lie has been around since the dawn of time. Let me show you a few examples, and I know that you already know them, but let's just read it. The last thing that God does in creation is make mankind. He says that mankind are unlike any creature he ever made because he formed them in his image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then the Lord said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Man will represent the good God to the rest of the world. They will be his physical embodiment. The, the, uh, uh, they will be his embodiment of his purpose, of his will, of his character. Human beings will be God's ambassador to the earth. And then humanity is given a job. They're told, hey, rule over the earth, subdue it, cultivate everything, you know, build a good world. But they're left with a choice. Adam and Eve, our predecessors, are left with a choice. 
How will you decide what is good? Will you build a world with God's definition of good based on his word and his authority? Or will you choose to listen to the lies the snake tells? The choice is represented by a tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eat from it and you'll have believed the lie. Abstain and you'll have chosen God's authority. And we know the story. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Humanity in that moment decided that they would listen to lies. And we've been doing it ever since. And then you know the story. It goes horribly wrong. They sinned. They failed. They lost the first battle of mankind because they didn't use the sword. They went into war with Satan, and they didn't rely on God's word. Instead, they believed the serpent's whisper, telling them that God's word was not useful for them at that moment, and their life became, in in a real sense, hell on earth. Here's another story. It's 1300 B.C. We're at Mount Sinai. The people of Israel had just been freed from slavery in Egypt. And for 400 years, they had been kind of in a system of oppression, making bricks, building the cities of Egypt. Until Yahweh, the God of the Bible, says enough is enough. You know the story. God sets his people free. It's an amazing story. God leads a nation across the Red Sea. They end up wandering in the wilderness for a little bit. But but they end up at Mount Sinai. They've been slaves for 400 years. They had not the slightest idea how to lead a nation or, or, what, or, or how to be a nation or what they're supposed to do. Like, should they enslave people? Because that's the, what their culture told them to do. Should they just go and pillage the next village over? Because that's what their culture told them to do. They Remember, they were in Egypt. That's what Egypt was like. Should they have a new kind of like um, uh, pa- um, pantheon of gods that they worshipped? In other words, should we or should they listen to their culture or should they listen to God? Should they worship other gods? Should they, how should they feel about murder and rape and adultery? What about the poor and women and foreigners and strangers? Should they listen to their culture or should they listen to God? And so God makes it clear. He calls over to Moses and he says, hey, Moses, come up to the mountain. And I'm going to give you some rules, some ways to live. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's reminding them, you were slaves and I brought you out. Now let me teach you how to live. And then he goes on and gives the Ten Commandments. And then the rest of the laws. This is how you're supposed to live. But here's the history of Israel. What do they do? They disregard the laws of God. They disregard the words of God again and again and again and again and again. They choose to follow culture over the words of God. Israel wants to have a king because all the other people had a king. All the other nations had a king. Israel wants to worship idols because all the other nations worship idols. And so they turn their back on God and and God allows them to squander their own lives. And again, I could show you example after example of this same lie that's being perpetuated even today. That God's word is no longer useful to order your life. It's the same tactics. It's centuries old. The... the, 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 um, Centuries old, Satan says, and the world says, and and our flesh says, don't trust his word. Instead, believe the lies of the world. Believe the lies of our culture or the lies of your own desires. 
See, what we must understand is that the word of God has been and will always be the only possible authority for winning any battle in the spiritual world. Let me say this again because it's so important. You and I are living in a spiritual world, in a spiritual war, I should say, and the only possible authority for winning any battle in the spiritual war is to use God's word. It's God's word taking shape in the lives of men and women that has won nations and changed culture and led to victory over evil. And let me share something with you. You and I are being lied to exactly the same way that our ancestors were lied to every single day. Your own flesh is tempting. Sin from the outside is tempting. Sin from the inside is tempting you. Every single day, we are being coerced by our culture, chased down by popular opinion, bombarded by the lies of the world and its opinions, and being overrun by the things that are adverse to the ways of God. Brothers and sisters, you are in a war. It's a war. Don't let your guard down. See, what we have here in the Word of God is equipment. It's, the, it's, an, a, a, it's a defense It's also offensive, right? It's a defense against the devil's scheme, but it's offensive equipment to take down hate and to destroy evil when we see it creep up in our own lives or in the lives of the people around us. Remember what the Apostle Paul said, the word is a sword, military equipment, offensively and defensively. Jesus, I love what Jesus said in John chapter 8. He says, hold to my teachings and be free. It's an instrument for freedom. So don't exchange God's word for Google. Don't exchange God's word for a popular opinion or a college education or whatever Fox News says or MSNBC. That's like exchanging a dagger for a butter knife. Don't fight the war of parenting with BuzzFeed top 10 tips for how to raise your kids. Don't fight your anxiety with a 22-year-old guy on YouTube. Don't fight the war for your sexuality or your purity or your own soul with something that has no power that's the spirit of what's going on in ephesians chapter 6 the scriptures are called with kind of great intensity the word of god for a reason because they are the words of god they're the voice of the one who formed us they are advice from our maker they're marching orders of how to be victorious and the book that we study the bible the one we look at and revere is God's revelation to man. We ask the question, how am I to live? How am I to respond? How am I to think? How should I, how should I be with my children? How should I be with my coworkers? How am I to live? And in the Bible, the creator of you and of me speaks. With all this, it's no wonder that the biblical authors circle back to God's law during every difficult time, asking the community to read it out loud, and asking their community to meditate on it day in and day out. Look, it's your only weapon. So I want to encourage you. This is such a simple encouragement, but are you reading it? Are you reading it slowly and deeply, carefully? Do you love it? Do you consume it? Are you changed by it? Are you using it to change others? And maybe one day you'll be able to share it with a man 
who's just visiting for the very first time with his son at his side. And what will end up happening is you will change that man's life forever, and subsequently you will change that young boy sitting beside him. I am an example of the power of God's word. And every time you use it effectively with friends and with neighbors and with your own life, you're setting in motion something that echoes for eternity more. At this time, we're going to take communion. Something I love about Jesus is that he loved his Father's word. Even at the cross, he quotes from the Bible. It was his comfort. And as we reflect on his sacrifice, let it also be our comfort, our stronghold, and our weapon to defend against every type of evil. Would you pray with me for communion? Father, we come before you and we're really grateful um, that we have been given an opportunity to love your word, to learn it deeply and to study it carefully. Um, Lord, as we think about um, your son on the cross, we're reminded um, that you have, you orchestrated all of that so that, so that we would have a chance to have life, God. We think about how powerful your word is at not just guiding our every step, but also telling us where things are going to be in the future and kind of understanding um, what's happening, God. And so I just pray that today as we think about the cross, we can also be reminded that you set it up for your son to die this way, God. And, and Father, I just pray that we'll remember um, that, that your word has power in our lives. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his life being given over to us um, so that we could have life ourselves. We love you, Dad. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.